The Galactic Dads Podcast, a podcast by Geeky Dads, talking about all things geek, dad life, I am the father, and beyond, language. All right, everybody, it is B, and I am back with the Galactic Dads. Today, we have a very special episode for you, as we are interviewing Zach Quaintance of ComicsBookCase.com. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm good, Brandon. How, how are you doing? I am clearly stumbling over words, but I'm doing very well. Very excited uh, to actually get you on the podcast. I know you and I have been Twitter acquaintances for quite a while now, uh, so it's really cool to get you over onto the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be on. I really appreciate you being flexible as well. I know we had some scheduling difficulties with the dad schedule. That's clearly my fault, but I really appreciate you making it on. I'm really excited to talk about, um, really, you have a lot of really cool stuff going on all the time. And I think first we should just hit it up with comics bookcase. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my website. Um, the real labor of love. <laughs> I was supposed to explain it. So well, let's just start with how it got started back in. What year did you start Comics Bookcase? Uh, twenty eighteen, like early early twenty eighteen. Um, it really uh, kind of started to get a, a following on social media, and I was only really updating it a couple times a week uh, for the first half of the year. Or so and it kind of just. Um, started compulsively updating it from there and it got bigger and bigger until lately when I've just kind of been like, uh, I'll do 10 posts a week, no more, no less. (laughs) (laughs) I have to pace myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're doing these comic things, like, you know, it's nobody's or it's very few people's first job to write about comics. Like I think you can kind of count the people whose career that is on your hands. Like there's just very few uh, so what's really important, and I always tell people this um, when they want to start writing for the site or doing their own site, is kind of just making sure you can scale it in a way that it fits in your own life. Like, I think that's just as important as, like, being really enthusiastic about it is, like, knowing where your limit is so you don't you don't get burned out really quick. And that's what I've had to kind of figure out uh, lately. I understand. I get that. But really, we should probably, for those who aren't familiar – Describe a little bit. What is your site exactly like? Is it, you know, reviews? Yeah. I can't break that down a little bit. Sure. Um, There's a bunch of different things we do. The guiding, first I'll start with sort of just the mission of it, which is to just kind of let people know what's good. Uh, I started it because I was a comic fan. Um, I go to the shop and they, they kind of tell you what they like, but it's usually one or two people at your shop and it's always, it's, Let's be honest, it's sales motivated. Like, they just want you to buy whatever's out that week. Of course. So, I was a little frustrated. Like, and you go online, and for whatever reason, the, the comics community is like, it's sort of hard to figure out what's good just looking at, like, you can go to Newsarama, Bleeding Cool, you can go to whatever, Comics Beat, whatever site you like, but um, they're all pretty insular. Like, they're so deep in the comics. I think, I think it's easy for to forget, like, that there are a lot of people out there like I was who just kind of want to know what's good, like what, um, what they should take a chance on and why. And so that's kind of what the mission of the site is. And so one of the regular features I do probably, the, probably the most heavily trafficked one is, is the Monday post of uh, top comics to buy for the week. Uh, we're on press lists for pretty much every publisher at this point. And I tend to read like 25 comics, at least uh, every weekend uh, that are coming out that coming Wednesday and pick five picks for the week. Uh, in addition to that, there's, there's single issue reviews, graphic novel reviews. Uh, there's a couple columns like classic comic of the week, uh, digital sales recommendations. If you read digital comics, uh, interviews and occasional other reading lists. Like we did best sports comics once uh, we got best YA comics coming. So yeah, that's, that's the site. That's pretty cool. You actually, you went, this is my favorite thing that people do. And I think this is probably the best time in history to do it. You see a need that you wish someone was doing. 
and you couldn't find anybody to do it. So you're like, you know, I'm going to go and make a good review site to tell people what actually is good. And here you are three years later uh, with the site going strong. Uh, you, you've changed the name up, though, right? Yeah. It was originally called Batman's Bookcase because I, I thought it was clever. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a clever <laughs> name. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be any sort of like Batman fan site. Mm-hmm. It was just supposed to be like kind of winking, like, oh, aren't comics ridiculous? Like, like this would be what's on Batman's bookcase. But people didn't really get that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people thought it was a Batman fan site. Uh, so I had to kind of change it. And also just um, we'll cover all comics. Like, I didn't want to be strictly associated with, with Batman comics. Of course. Yeah. I do know it probably didn't help. Uh, I did write an article or two for you, and one of them was uh, a piece on Batman number fifty back during Tom King's run, where Batman was. It was, yeah, yeah. Where I he, mean, we still write about Batman, like of course, you know, part of comics and all. Yeah, you got you have you so you have a good amount of content that comes out every week, and it is it's actually staggering. Sometimes I go and look at, it, and I'm like, I have no idea how this man gets all of this done. Like, it truly must be a passion. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's not as much, I think when you've been doing something for a little while, like the hardest part for me, honestly, is reading those comics every week on, on the, cause they, they tend to come from the publishers on Thursday or Friday. So I have like three or four days to, to read all the highlights for the week. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like labor intensive to read that many comics, um, every week. Uh, that's the hardest part. The other stuff, it's like, I have a lot of contributors who are kind of like, um, on on their schedule, so the stuff comes in every week at the same time. It's really easy to get up, and I have like templates and things that make the post easier to pull together. Like you learn tricks as you go uh, to cut down on the labor, uh, and like I think um, when you're having fun writing something, it's, it, those are the things you tend to do over and over. So like I enjoy to re- review vault comics, so I do a lot of that. And it doesn't really feel like work uh, that way. That's that. You know what? Reading a particular vault comic right now, I know that you guys had a probably you did a good interview with Michael Morrissey. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I think at this point we've interviewed Michael Morrissey at least three times, maybe four. But he's so cool though. He's always really yeah. nice and he's always super excited. Like, sure. Yeah. He's a Chicago guy too. We have a lot of similar interests. Hopefully um, he makes good, like I like wasted space. And uh, Barbaric, which are two of his his vault comics, mm-hmm. are the voice in there. Like that's it. It just it's my sense of humor. Like I we share sort of a similar sense of humor. I will say that I enjoyed Wasted Space, but Barbaric is unbelievably cool. I just picked. I guess it was two weeks ago now uh, that I picked up number two, and I love that book. And it's just so it's so crazy and so off the wall with the the blood the blood drinking axe, right. That gets drunk, but talks, uh, and it somehow fits in this like sword and sorcery kind of world. That's just wild and, and crazy. And I love it so much. And I was surprised, uh, not surprised actually, by just how successful that book has been. Uh, so it's really yeah. cool that you've got guys like that on your website. When you get to the core of that book, it's really about a guy who, who doesn't like his job. If you really think about it, like the guy is stuck, being a barbarian hero and he doesn't want to be, but he's been cursed and has to always do the right thing. And he just complains about it from start to finish incessantly. And who can't relate to that? <laughs> you have to, you have to do shit. You don't want to do it. Uh, and you complain about it. Yeah. If that doesn't sound like everybody's nine to five, I don't know like what else is right. Although, yeah, he at least has some catharsis in there with his axe that none of us should ever get to experience. Sure, yeah, of course not. <laughs> but you know what, though? So I know for a fact that not only do you review comics, you also write them, right? Yeah, I, I've made one comic to date. Um, I have some other stuff I'm working on. Yeah, I had a Kickstarter last year. Uh, last year around this time, last August, we kickstarted a one uh, 30 page one shot comic that um, we were able to get out to readers in May this, this year, a couple months ago. Yeah. I actually was fortunate enough to get my hands on one. 
because uh, I backed it yeah. at the time. Uh, and I was impressed with how it was delivered in a nice like Gemini uh, comic shipping box that uh, I I don't know why I was surprised by that, but I just feel like that that is a lot of intensive packaging and labor uh, that goes into doing it. So I was very uh, surprised and pleased that you put even that amount of effort into the shipping after well, good. running the, the campaign and not to mention that, but assembling a creative team, writing the script and, and getting that all out. Um, but just like, you know, you review comics on your site, I'm really always interested in the craft of making comics. So would you mind walking us through that a little bit, how the idea came to you and then all the way through the Kickstarter process? Yeah, happy to. Um, so that, that comic started, uh, during the first month of the pandemic, uh, the artists and I are friends, like we kind of like you and I, we knew each other over Twitter. And uh, we were both under uh, lockdown, and we thought it was going to be like 30 days. So we said, let's let's take the next 30 days and make a comic. And we were just going to make a five-page black-and-white comic. Uh, the lockdowns got extended, and we really liked what we were doing. Um, so he said, like, why don't we add a couple pages? And it just we just kept going, and, and sooner or later, it, it was um, 30 pages. Uh, it grew from five to 30 pages. Um, and then at that point, we once we had the 30-page script, I'd written, we kind of came up with the first five pages together. It was like a shared idea. And what was interesting was the artist is Pat Scott, by the way. He's great. Um, and he he came with one stipulation when we first started working on this, was, which was that he wanted practice drawing mundane things. Like he'd always done um, oh. sci-fi and fantasy comics. Um, and so he wanted to draw like everyday life, like uh, regular people, uh, houses, things like that. So we decided to do a crime comic and we came up with the first uh, five pages and then I wrote the rest of the script when we decided to expand it and he liked it. And so he was down to draw it. And um, from there we decided to kickstart it essentially to, uh, to be able to afford a color and a letterer um, to bring up, to bring a board and then ultimately to publish it um, and get it out to people and so we went from there kickstarted it in july i mean there's a there's a million other little things that have to get done in between that um mm-hmm. from like we ran the kickstarter uh campaign by a publicist i know to get to get tips on how to do that better um we you have to really like time the uh because you're paying out of pocket for the art colors and and lettering before the campaign um, and so you have to like time the work that they're all doing and then also make sure that like, Hey, if this is successful, will you be available in January? So you have to like, not only find a colorist and a letterer and an artist you like, like their work you like, you have to make sure they're available to do the preview pages and in however many, once you get your Kickstarter money to pay them, um, scheduling is the, is a very boring, but, but key part of this process. It's you know? very monotonous. Yes. Yeah, and then I don't think we've talked about this, but Pat lives in Northern California, and in the middle of the campaign, uh, his house burned down, like no to the way. ground. Yeah, in in the wildfires, like two weeks into the campaign, he started texting me, like, "Hey, no big deal. Um, they're making us evacuate because there's fires in the area, but I got all the original art. Should be fine. Should be back in a couple of days." Like three days later, he's like, "Yeah, I lost everything. I, my entire house burned down." That is heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, it was it was really horrible, really really horrible. And like, we'd come so far that it was like we didn't want to turn back, and he didn't want us to turn back. So we kept pushing forward the campaign, and he had to like promote it. And like, um, and it wasn't my house that burned down, so I didn't really want to. I wasn't going to talk about it unless he wanted to. Um, he was busy with a million things. Uh, and then that kind of set us back with production for obvious reasons. Of um, course. But yeah, we stayed patient. I knew because he'd already drawn by the time that happened, two thirds of the book. Um, and so we just kind of talked about it. And I, I was like, man, I, I hate, this is our idea. Like I'd hate for you to not be able to like, uh, to get this far and have and not be able to do it. And then in two years, look back and, and regret it. Um, so we kind of figured out a new schedule and, and he was able to finish it. Um, 
and there's really kind of like a layer of um i like it's the book itself is about housing like there's a lot about um like where you live mm-hmm. to it and it, it it's like a weird thing that we went through this as a creative team like a housing crisis in the middle of, of production of the book uh, it was kind of strange yeah uh, there's there was a little bit of a uh I don't know, strange coincidence there, right? But yeah, it it's it's weird. Um, it's not even weird, really. But like, I'm looking at the Kickstarter page now for it, and it uh, the name of the book is Next Door, and it's a neo noir crime comic. Uh, but the kind of area of crime, like you think crime comic, and all of a sudden it brings to mind to me like you know Brian Azarello's 100 Bullets, or or like you know a crime comic of that nature. But this particular book is set just in a neighbor normal neighborhood and you're yeah like, and it's predominantly in the daytime you know uh, you look at the book and the yard work seems to be i'm looking right now at the the cover for it you know the one guy's got a rake in his hand the other guy's watering his lawn uh and then in the middle is you know one of the main characters just holding a pistol and checking out the cell phone uh so it's kind of like yeah. a, hey what's going on in this neighborhood everything looks all right but something's not quite right yeah, I I think a big part of that, well, first of all, it was Pat wanted to draw everyday things. Um, and on top of that, when, when we were creating it, we weren't going anywhere. Like, we, it was uh, the March 2020? Yeah, March yeah. 2020. Like, we weren't going, we weren't, I didn't leave for the first 30 days. I didn't leave the, like, two miles around my house, really. Um so that was part of it. And there was also this idea, I think, at that time. It's like, you're kind of looking at your neighbors a little, like, sideways. Like, I don't know. Like, I remember the news not being, I didn't know what was going on. But I remember kind of looking at my neighbors, like, stay away from me. <laughs> like, I don't want you near me, you know. Um, so I think that was kind of part of it, too, is it's like, we're confined to our houses. And there was, like, this idea that, like, things were dangerous too. So you're like spending all this time at home and kind of like, like it's a little sinister. Um, yeah. It, it was hard not to experience a small bit of pandemic paranoia, uh, especially when, you know, peeking out the blinds at your neighbors, but like, have they left anywhere? Are people coming over? You know, you're, yeah. you're just kind of hyper vigilant. Uh, I remember that. And how much bath yeah. tissue are they like dragging into their house from this latest Costco run? Like it's weird things that you probably don't give a second thought about in normal circumstances, but to have that occur at that time, as you were crafting this book had quite a bit of influence on the story. Yeah. So that, that was a big part of it. It was like, I remember we were doing weird things like wiping down our groceries with a disinfectant wipe at that time. So it was definitely like on, on my mind. Uh, so those were the thing where like Pat, lived in Northern California and I, I had just lived in Northern California where the housing crisis is really severe. Um, so it was inspired a lot by experiences in that part of the country. Well, I, I mean, I can imagine, but it really is, uh, have a really interesting book in the way that you sold it was apparently good enough because I backed it as well. Uh, but the Kickstarter did not seem to have a problem reaching its goal and getting funded. Uh, just, you know, I, I don't know what the exact initial goal was for you guys, uh, but you know, are we comfortable in saying that you were able to exceed that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had a pretty modest goal. It was basically the minimum amount it would cost to hire the colorist and letterer, which is a little like for Kickstarter, inside Kickstarter baseball is is a little problematic to set your goal that way because if, like, let's say if we only got our minimum, which was 1700 then we're stuck with basically with the publishing costs out of pocket, um, mm-hmm. which is something I didn't really think about and well, like uh, shipping costs, but yeah, thankfully um, we were able to exceed. I mean, we did about 7,000 total. Um, yeah. You were with the Kickstarter. Yeah. You were able to get 327 backers, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. That's excellent for, you know, your first Kickstarter. Um, but I think it probably helped out a little bit that you had a little bit of, you know, kind of small amount of clout, I'll say. Like, I don't want to. Oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, 
I won't pull any punches about that. Like a huge part of why we had that many backers was because of the, I mean, I think two things. It's like I have following on social media because of the website. So there were a lot of people that are just fans of the site. Like, oh, I'll help him out back his Kickstarter. And then another thing, it's like, like because I, I write for Comics Beat as well, um, in addition to Comics Bookcase. And so, like, I've spent the last almost three years um, writing about other people's comics, promoting them, telling people, hey, you should buy this. Mm. So I think a lot of a lot of people were like, time to time to settle up. I'll yeah, time support, to re- return I'll the favor. Yeah, exactly. So not only not only were like uh, several pros who I'd interview backed our book, but they also tweeted out to their followers. Which uh, another Kickstarter tip: if you're running a campaign, like big retweets from big creators is are is huge. Like every time we we get one of those, um, it br- it would bring in backers, one or two backers. Oh, and the other thing I think is really helpful was because I write for Comics Beat and had my own site, is I know how to navigate comics PR and press pretty well. Like I knew I have relationships with people at a lot of other sites. So I was able to reach out to them personally, like not just email them cold, um, never having talked to them before I mean, cover my book. Um, but no, I, I know him by, by name. We knew each other and I say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this. Can I come on your podcast? Do you want to do a little interview piece? Um, stuff like that. And they're, they're all pretty well game. Like, um, Dan Grote, who does the WMQ podcast now at Comics XF, a friend of mine, um, Dave from Comic Book Herald was, was very gracious to have me on. And then, uh, Rock and Robbie Billups, who does a really cool YouTube, YouTube show. Like, so I really kind of, um, went all in on, on the, like, kind of did the rounds, um, which is something I would, I would advise anyone doing a Kickstarter to kind of like, contribute to the comics community so that you have that kind of those kind of relationships with people um because then when you needed to promote a project people are super nice like they're they're there to kind of repay the favor that is awesome that's really cool this is one of the things that i found and i my toes are nowhere near as far into the comics twitter world for lack of a better term we'll we'll call it i some would call it an industry but i'm not that far in um but yeah, sure. Everyone that you end up, everyone that you end up talking to is usually really cool. You know, if you just go in as a decent person and you're not pushy or you know make the mistake of being overly critical on somebody's creative work, it's usually really easy to make friends. It's one of the surprising things that I have found uh, in this community. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's a very strong sense of camaraderie in comics. Uh, especially when you can go to shows and, and see people in person, it gets a little tense online sometimes. Like, um, Oh yeah. 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 Twitter can be a, a dangerous wild animal. Yeah. Like there's just some people who, who are there for violence like, <laughs> day in and day out. But, uh, when you see people face to face, um, and when, even when, even not necessarily in person, but when you email them or talk or DM them and ask for stuff, people are always pretty nice. Really refreshing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a great case in point is how you and I actually started to get to know each other, even though for whatever odd reason, we've never met in person. I think it's because of the pandemic. We would have bumped into each other at a con sooner or later. Yeah. I remember we were supposed to go to San Diego. Um, Oh man. We were both going to San Diego right before everything happened. Yeah, I remember we were I was super excited cuz I got normal tickets, right? That November of 2019, I finally got in through actual registration. Uh did a quick YouTube video about it and everything. I was so excited and then the pandemic hit and I have no hopes to even be able to maybe attend San Diego Comic-Con until maybe at best 2022. Maybe. Yeah. I think they're doing it this year, but they're doing it over Thanksgiving weekend, which is just ridiculous. Um, I'm not going. I was actually looking at uh, the site today for updates because I was hoping that there would be some news that said, you know, if you have purchased tickets for the 2020 show, 2021 has been canceled. uh, You have to do nothing. Your tickets will automatically be good for 2022 unless you choose to refund or cancel or whatever. Uh, but I was looking at the site and they said, we are going to bring a smaller special edition convention over like the Thanksgiving weekend. And I just thought, man, there's no way that's, that's just not going down. 
especially like for yeah. me, it's different because family, you know, I have two small children, uh, which is kind of like my thing, you know? Uh, so I definitely can't get away over Thanksgiving weekend to go to a, a small comic con. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, unless you live in San Diego, it's a pretty, I don't know who's making that, that trip. Unless you're a guest at the con or you live in San Diego, I don't know who's making that trip. Like, it's just, it just strikes me as the saddest thing ever to like eat Thanksgiving dinner. It's like a hot dog at the concession stand in the San Diego convention center. <laughs> like, <laughs> like who wants to, be, <laughs> nothing's worth doing that. And I can't imagine they're going to get like, um, a super hefty slate of guests that are also willing to spend their Thanksgiving at the show. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine. I'm sure there are some, right. There are some people who just enjoy getting away. Uh, but for, yeah, for the like great, people live in LA and stuff. Yeah, close. make it a small. See, you're like a part-time California guy, right? You get it, Sacramento before, is that right? Yeah, I I'm a no-time California guy now, but yeah, I know the California geography well from having lived there. Yeah, and it's just kind of like who's making these trips? Yeah, but I mean, it, they probably want to do a smaller show anyway. Um, I don't know, man. And there's probably some kind of like they have they have a deposit or something for a show in 2021. I don't know what's going on, but I'm I, I just as soon as I saw the date, it was like, nope, not doing that. Yeah, you're right. There's got to be something to incentivize them to actually do a smaller show at all. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, they already did their second Comic Con at home this year. Which did you cover much of that? I covered Comic Con at home last year and I hated it. Like, um, it, <laughs> like they they had some good panels and everything, but I'm just like I spend, I work at at home in my office all day, and I don't when it's over, I don't want to go back to watch these YouTube videos. Um, you know, I can yeah, imagine. I wasn't. I get it. I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. Like part of the part of the con experience one of the best parts is, is going to a different city, like getting away, like entering this little world. It's different when, it, when I'm just doing it at home at my desk, um, loses a lot of it. So this year I didn't really, I, I just caught up with some of the coverage here and there, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't cover it at all myself. I will be honest. It is nowhere near the same, right? Cause I mean, you know, I really miss cons. I miss them so much, especially the ones that are like the size of, you know, like the bigger ones, your New York Comic Con, your C2E2, of course, San Diego, if I could ever get there. Um, but as far as virtual cons go, I was blown away at how awesome DC's fandom was. That one was cool, yeah. I, I think they made it more, it, it felt like an event that you had to be attending in, at that time. Like that's part of the problem, I think, with the... Um, what other some other shows have done where they just kind of mass dump videos online that you can watch whenever. Um, it felt like the the fandom stuff was rolling stuff out in real time, which kind of gives you a reason to like park in front of the computer all day. And then people are like sort of experiencing it together on social media. Um, they also limited it. Like it was just like one afternoon uh, was all the stuff I was interested in. So I just spent Saturday like cleaning up around the house with the laptop watching it. And it was, I had a great time with it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I actually spent the time, like, my son was almost brand new at the time, which was great. So I turned it on, watched it, and I just got to hang out with a little guy. I just had to feed and let sleep. And I caught everything. That uh, was when I first got my first peek at uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which I knew they were had been talking about doing. I didn't realize it was as far as long in, in filming as it was when so you got a peek at all the different actors and all the different costumes, uh, that was huge. I thought that was so cool. And then of course we got the Batman trailer, uh, which was, oh, yeah. which is still, I'm waiting. Like the movie should be out. I should have already been able to enjoy it, but alas, we'll be waiting on that one as well. But it was really cool to, to see the big movies, you know, like normally it's like hall H type stuff. Right. And then, yeah, you get to see that. And then if you just kind of kept watching, they even did comic book creator interviews, which was so cool. Yeah, they did. That's when they announced that like milestone was coming back and some other stuff. 
it was yeah that was fun i was kind of hoping they'd do it again this year but i haven't seen anything about it i don't think it's happening yeah i thought they were going to and then of course i haven't seen anything uh i think it might have been one of those things like yeah we'll do it again next year and then everybody got hopeful you know that we were coming out of the pandemic and then they yeah. might have abandoned some plans and then of course here we are now we're Things are turning back up. We're like, hey, we might all have to go back into lockdown again. I'm just like, please, God, no. Please. I know. I know. Because I'm supposed to go to a, a show here in D.C. where I now live on the 21st. Um, awesome Con, which is a smaller show. But I'm kind of like, I guess it's too late for them to cancel. So it's definitely going to happen. But um, Everybody's going to be mass- know. masked up. Everybody's going to be in like full on Mandalorian cosplay just to like protect themselves. Yeah gas masks and things i'm a catcher look at my gas mask yeah yeah luckily there's a good selection of masked characters as it would have (laughs) imagine that there's even a fully masked batman you can go cosplay as now yep yeah yeah that's a good point indeed uh but awesome cons coming up right you're going yeah two weeks i think i'm I, i have press passes to three cons this fall um Awesome Con and then New York Comic Con and Baltimore Comic Con. Um, all of them. I was going to say, you think those happen? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I I guess. I don't know. Like, it, I guess it depends on whether the guests are, are pulling out. Because I was kind of following online Megacon in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like they're sort of hemorrhaging guests. Like, people just aren't going, like the creators. And so I guess that more than anything will determine whether or not the shows probably happen. Yeah. I know that it's really easy for creators to get spooked from cons. I mean, even before the pandemic, everybody knows about the infamous comic crud or con crud, right? Yeah. You you go to the show and you come back with the sniffles or whatever. Uh, So when it's like a for real virus, people are real hesitant to show up. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think for, for all these creators, the concept is sit, sit there and meet people over and over and over again, as many people as, as are willing to stand at your table. And so that's, I mean, I can go to these shows and, and pretty well avoid everybody, but if you're, if you're making an appearance, it's a lot harder. Right. Especially people want to take your hand too. Yeah. Imagine you're an artist in artist alley. Like the whole point to get people over to your booth is to get them to talk to you and buy stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Really, um, and really some, some people travel across the country and need to make money like to make the trip worthwhile. And so there's probably also concern that guests won't show up and it will be uh, financially damaging to even go. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things you really don't think about uh, as an initial fan is what it's like to be on the other side of the table just to get there. Yeah. If, if you're not fortunate enough to be a guest of the con then you have to pay for that, that booth space anyway, and then, you know, your flight, hotel, all that stuff, like going can put you in a real hole that if you're not selling anything at, you're just kind of financially paying to sit in a convention center all day, which might sound cool to us at first, but probably loses its luster by noon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff you don't think about. Like a lot of those guys have to check additional suitcases filled with books. So they're going to try to sell like there's just a lot of legit or how do you how do you um get your banner to fit in your luggage you're going to stand behind your table like when you go from out of town like are you, are you just, yeah are you going to bite the shipping bullet and just ship everything to your hotel beforehand and just hope it shows up yeah exactly or where's it where's it going to be when you get there like um it's complicated and it's expensive and if you're not confident that you're going to make the money back why bother and why not why just go as a fan or wait? Yeah, absolutely. It's a shame too. Baltimore had a really cool lineup. Um, I haven't seen people canceling yet, but it's still kind of a ways away in October. But yeah, they, that Baltimore's a, a fun, underrated Comic Con. I got to go in 2019 um, for a day, and I really had a good time. That's really cool. Actually, Baltimore isn't like you hear about it, but it's not like one of the big ones that that gets popped up on the radar. Uh, if, yeah. If you had to compare it to another con, uh, size wise, what would you say is a good one? 
people say Heroes Con, the one in North Carolina, is a good comparison for Baltimore Con. Uh, I've never been to that one, though, so I don't really know. Um, but that's what I've heard because they're both heavy on actual comics and they're smaller. Like New York, New York Comic Con, I was really surprised. It's really, really heavy on actual comic stuff, but it's enormous. It's really stressful and really huge. Um, Baltimore is really chill and it, it's usually scheduled after New York Comic Con. Um, I feel like people at that show are very relaxed. A lot of them have been to New York Comic Con are just kind of like, let's kick back at this one. Yeah, let's um, chill out a little bit. Yeah. When, the day I went, I went on the, the Friday, which is usually a little slower at any con, but um, uh, it was super easy to walk around. I saw, um, I went to Brian K. Vaughn panel and I, like, there were plenty of seats. You could walk right up to the front. Like, yeah, I like that stuff with cons. Like, I'm not trying to get into the, the um, massive uh, scrum of people on the con floor that you have to, like, kind of wiggle through. I don't want to do that. If I can avoid that pretty happy um baltimore also had like just a lot of really cool books for sale like a lot of 80s comics and um yeah it's just i highly recommend that one i will definitely keep that one in mind then because i'm looking to get out to a few more shows once everything you know hopefully fully opens uh but you're right i'll never forget uh my first real con experience because i went to the con thinking you know not realistically I'd come out with a job, but I was hopeful that I could meet people and make connections, uh, which I really quickly realized that for some reason, the con floor is not the best place to do that. Yeah. I think you, I think you have to really play a long game with, with going to cons and doing that. Like people aren't necessarily there to network, but networking does happen. It's just more an effect of, Oh, I've seen you several times. You know, people I know, um, let's chat and then you become friends and then that's how you start getting work. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely a, lot a, of a longevity game. Like, Hey, I've seen you before. Oh, I saw you again. Oh yeah. What's your name again? I also found out that if you're patient, uh, you can find a lot of really cool like, comic creators at the bar, uh, that's adjacent to the hotel. And you know, if, yeah. you're, if you're don't fangirl out, like I did my first year, really embarrassing now. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's weird to be reading like Tom King's writing Batman. Right. And like, you're so excited about it. And then you're sitting at a bar and not only is he sitting like two stools down from you in between you is Joel Jones. And they're just talking yeah. about work. And you're, I was like, Oh my gosh, let me heavy breathe over here. Uh, and then, you know, last, I guess it was in 2020. By the time I got to go, I was fortunate enough to run into James Tinian at the bar and instead of, you know, being weird and he was obviously with somebody. So very simply say, Hey, like to buy you both a drink, really enjoying your run right now. I'll catch you tomorrow on the show floor. Have a great night. So much better. He was actually, he was actually nice enough. Talk to me the next day. Whereas I'm like an appropriate interaction. Yeah. Like, Hey, this seems normal, right? Like this doesn't seem scary at all. Nobody's standing me over here. But yeah, that, yeah. It is it's it's a lot of fun to go to cons and clearly we, we miss it. Um I remember after my first C2E2 visit, I know everybody that listens to the show says when Brandon mentions C2E2 you drink because it makes a fun drinking game. But after that <laughs> I was really enjoyed it and I think you had just gotten passes to go to San Diego Comic Con. And for some reason I just ran down this whole list of stuff that's useful to bring with you. Do you yeah, no, I remember I got that portable battery to recharge my phone. That was super helpful. Do that thing. I'm using it right now. It's keeping my phone charged from the end of a long day to make this call happen right now. Like it <laughs> still works, and that was back in 20. That was probably 2018, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. What? So at least those anchor batteries, I recommend. I should get an affiliate link for that because I really would recommend those all day long to people. And put in the show notes. Yeah, there you go. Boom. Done. Give me the Amazon money. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it is uh, really cool to be able to talk about that stuff. And were you able at all to, probably not with the timing of it, but push any of the Kickstarter stuff through any of, like, affiliate sites? Kickstarter? No. Um, no. 
like through Amazon or something. I was thinking like, you know, through some of your networking buddies. I know you got a couple of big retweets, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah, I'd I'd happen to be interviewing um Scott Snyder about his Kickstarter launch that month as as well and I was interviewing him for it and I was kinda like, Hey, you know, I have I have one going on now too. Oh, cool. And we like talked about shared experiences on Kickstarter. And then like the second to last night of the campaign, I messaged him. I was like, Hey Scott, can you retweet this link? And then he like backed it and retweeted it. And that was really cool. Um, That had to be like one of the coolest feelings. Cause I mean, he was essentially like the architect at DC at the time. I mean, he may have been on his way out, but he was really doing some pretty cool stuff. So to have him retweet that must've been very validating. It was helpful. Yeah. I, I've interviewed, Scott Snyder now like five times, six times. Like I'm like the Scott Snyder beat reporter at Comics Beat. That's great though. Um, so, yeah, it's fun. So did you get to interview him today? There was a lot of crazy stuff going on on Twitter today. No, not today. Um, not not in this writing class thing. I the last time I talked to him was right before his Comicsology launch. Uh, we talked about that, but they. I mean, this is really inside baseball stuff but it's handled by a different substack handled by a different publicist gotcha so it's not the one i know um so they didn't they didn't get anything set up with us oh um, but and that's yeah. like that's one of the ones we're like man if if only well that's okay yeah i i don't know i i've talked to uh scott snyder's a very good interview because he just he has a lot to say that's always uh, helpful i have found yeah yeah so i've heard I mean, I could probably kind of guess what he would have said today <laughs> without <laughs> even talking to him. <laughs> that's cool. He really enjoys teaching, and he's got a long history of doing it. Uh, and that thing actually is probably of all the all that weird subsect stuff. That might be the one thing that I'm interested in. Um, what he's doing because it's like he's really upfront about this is what you'll get. You'll get a class a month for seven dollars. Like, and I've taken online writing courses, and they are expensive. Yes, um, I doubt this one will be much one-on-one uh, feedback, but there'll be some. And then seven dollars, like if it's just a YouTube series, that's a pretty good deal. So I'm kind of interested in that one. I'm less interested in the other comic stuff they announced today, um, just because there's no, there's like no info about what you're getting. They're like, give us seven dollars a month in perpetuity. Sign up right now with your credit card, and maybe comics, comics will eventually come. But you don't know how often, you know, like it just seems like really consumer unfriendly uh, setup they have right now. But that's probably a different tangent for another time. Well, we won't dive into that today. We'll probably wait till we get a little more info about that one to go into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not super excited about Substack though, personally. You know what? I mean, let's let's just go at it full bore. You know, we're on Twitter. Just go unhinged and just tweet away. Tell me exactly how you really feel and have no regrets tomorrow. No, I'm kidding. Let's, it's fine. Let's not do that. <laughs> that would be the Twitter way to go about it, though. But um, I am interested to see how it plays out because I think it's a big deal um, just with the names that are involved. I agree with you. I think that it's one of those things that has the potential to kind of tilt the industry a bit. Like, I, I don't think, obviously, that Batman and, and, you know, the Avengers or anything are going anywhere. Uh, but I feel like this could be, like, the digital age image, kind of, in the early 90s, kind of shakes it up, drives a large yeah. audience. I don't know, man. Like, I think it's a really tough sell uh, to get, because, like, if you think about this, if you if you just sign up for the creators today, who announced stuff today, you're paying, like, $30 a month for comics that come in your newsletter, like, I don't know, man, I have a hard time imagining too many people are super excited about that. But we'll see. Like, um, I just think it's, it's, they got a ton of money up front. I don't blame them for doing it. Like it's a super good deal. And like Substack has a lot of investment money. Um, and if comics can get some of it. That's great. And also like, if you're Jonathan Hickman or James Tinian, like, um, a year from now when the deal's up, you can walk right back to Marvel or DC. Like, like they'll take you right back. Like, yeah, that, it's not that, a huge... That's a very good point. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. These things, uh, it's, I don't think it's like people want to talk about the, like, Oh, we're leaving the big two to do creator owned work, but that's kind of a thing that's been happening. Like when was the last time Jeff Lemire wrote for the big two or like name 
name a bunch of other creators. Like it kind of happens constantly. They go in and out. Um, the bigger story to me is like, will people like, um, embrace this technology as like a means of accessing their comics? Like that's traditionally been a really hard sale. Like just to get people to read on a tablet has taken years and a lot of people still totally hate it. Um, so to get people to like read comics coming to them through an email, that's a tough sell. Um, that actually, that'll be interesting to see how they a, can get people to do that. So I, yeah, but that's a massively tough sell. You're right, because I won't even do digital comics. Like I really prefer saying. to uh, – I like to go to the shop. I like to get the books in my hand. I like to physically have them. And, like, every right. once in a while I'll do a digital one if there's, like, a crazy sale or, you know – Cool thing about the digital ones is it's cool to like go grab whatever image you want to like tweet with it or whatever. Uh, it's that's super helpful for that. But you know, for the most part, I want the books. I want them in my pit. I want to add them to my long box. Like I, I like the stories. I like the feel of reading it. So to get one in my email inbox, and some I assume scheduled amount of time. Hopefully that would come out consistently. Uh, as much as I have to go through emails at work every day, I don't know that I'm going to inherently enjoy that. That's a good point. And also you mentioned scheduling. Um, and I don't think comics is inherently very well set up to be like, oh, uh, we're going to deliver two comics a month, creator owned. Like, especially like you look at like Jonathan Hickman, um, his work is often delayed, pretty, pretty, especially his creator owned stuff almost never comes out on time. Like, I don't know. I, I was a little, I'm kind of just taking a, like, I'll wait till these guys get a book, like a full book of, um, of comics and buy them that way. I'm sure they'll make them for sale. Otherwise they're leaving money on the table. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not too stoked about the idea of paying monthly fee to, uh, to get comics material emailed to me. Yeah. Not to get too far out of the realm of comics, but I wonder if they were, bolstered by the performance of websites like OnlyFans or something like that. I, that's so funny. Like I was talking to somebody today and I was like, this is basically comics only fans. <laughs> like that's what they're, that's what they're setting up here. It's like a cult of personality. And like part of what they're selling too is like, Oh, we'll give you a behind the scenes glimpse at, at how we're like world building. But I don't really want that <laughs> necessarily, you know, like I certainly don't want to pay extra money for that. Like I just kind of want stories. Yeah, at this point, I mean, you're right. Unless you, like, really, really love a specific creator and kind of, I mean, really fall in love with their personality, seeing their their craft or, you know, world-building, as you point out already, I think Hickman was um, pushing that today. If that's yeah. not what you're into and you really just want the stories, then that value isn't exactly there. But it's like when you when you go to a restaurant, like do you want your burger or do you want to watch the guy make it? Like <laughs> I don't really want to watch them make it. All right, but I'll watch you make the onion rings because that's quick. Now come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And then give me give me behind the scenes for extra money. You can watch us make the burger too. I'm not gonna pay that. Like, get out of here. <laughs> we'll uh, do it behind the wall so you can't see it and bring it out. It'll be a surprise to you, and that's the same price every month. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Let me see it. I know, yeah. If you, start, if you start to apply this business model to food, it doesn't really work very well. Yeah, well, it's tough when you apply that business model to anything. As soon as you say, here, you can check this out, and then the next thing's a paywall, it's kind of like, mm, I'm not really interested in this anymore. Yeah, well, especially to this where it's like, yeah, you don't even know when it's coming or, or how much you're getting for your money. Like, yeah. It's not very, it doesn't strike me as super consumer friendly. Like there's a lot of focus and discussion saying like good for the creators. They're getting paid. They're getting paid. But like the other half of it is they, now they want you to pay and they can't answer a lot of these questions. Like people are like, what format are the comics coming in? And to, today, one of the answers is we don't really know yet. Um, we're still working on that, but but you could sign up right now and buy them. Like yeah. I'm not doing that. Like give me a little more information first. Yeah. That, that is a tough sell. You're right. I'll be interested to see where it goes, though. Um, I do know, personally for me, like I said already, it's tough to add something else to my inbox. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, mm -hmm. I just inherently associate that with either bills I have to pay or work I have to do. Like, I mean, it's not like I go to my email inbox for 
relaxation at this point in my life. I don't know that that's the best way to do it. That's I don't think most people, yeah, it's email. Yeah, it's work, work, work. It's a lot of work. But anyway, mm. I don't know. I can't, I, I hope it goes well, though. See if something else interesting comes out of it. But uh, we'll just, we'll see. I guess a year from now, everybody will either go, hey, this, this new Substack thing I subscribed to, we got some new creators on. It's going really well. Or it'll be kind of like Tubi. You remember last year when this was coming out and it just sank? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's tough. It's tough to get a new technology to catch on. They're certainly spending quite a bit of money on the Substack thing, but. Um, I, if I was betting on it, I would bet against it. Wow. We'll be, maybe a year from now we'll, we'll get back together for the show and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It takes stock of like, okay, how wrong were we or how right were we? Hey, look, we were right down the middle. That's how we did it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I do thank you for spending the time to talk with me and I, of course, look forward to any time that we get to, to chat comics and stuff, especially yeah, when I have a lot the, of fun. Yeah, especially when I get the honor of saying, hey, plug some stuff you've done. That's really cool. So I know, obviously, we mentioned it from the start of the show, but you guys should definitely go check out comicsbookcase.com. Uh, there you get some really great comic reviews. If you're not sure, you know, because maybe you've not been to the, the comic shop in a while or wherever you get your comics, which books you should go pick up. You can definitely go check out the, uh, well, I'll just let you talk about it, Zach. Which one would you recommend for people to, to go find a new book to read? Um, let's see. Like right now, what would my top recommendation be? Yes. Uh, I guess Barbaric, really. Um, that one, I, I feel like, well, unless you're squeamish about uh, violence and profanity, it's probably not for you, but... For most readers, I think there's a lot to like in that one. Um, it's funny. Uh, it's shocking. Like, it'll surprise you. And it's got a lot of, like, really well-illustrated um, high fantasy action. Yeah, the, the art in that book is really good, too. So, Barbaric from Vault Comics uh, is definitely a go-to. Uh, but if you need more recommendations, you can, of course, check out comicsbookcase.com. And then, uh, is there any way that people can get their hands on Next Door? Uh, is there is there on Comicsology no, or anything like that? Not at the moment, but stay tuned. There should be news about that um, very soon. All right. Well, if you guys want to keep an eye out for that, hopefully we'll see some news on that, and you can expect a retweet from Galactic Dads on it. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks for having me on. 